Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. I had a dream last night, and um, I want to say that um, that I feel like today um, God is wanting you to value um, the infancy of some things that he's doing in your heart. And it needs to be protected and guarded. You know, a, a natural baby does not have the capacity to do anything but rely. They're good yielders. Right, wouldn't you say? And there, there is a greater revelation to a yielded heart than to a resistant heart because the nature of revelation is that it has to be planted in a place that it can grow. And so if you can think about that resistance and independence and fear and doubt let's we can name them all create a hardness that the seed of god's revelation has no ability to be planted in it and so you know my my hope is that through what god is is actually pouring out right now it's kind of a it feels really unusual to me. You know, I've been doing this a really long time, and so it feels unusual to me because um, there's a great quantity or capacity of revelation because I feel like that God does that in seasons because there um, it's, it's, it's kind of up to us to search it out. You know, part of the refining of a heart that is after God is that the heart begins to search out with the Holy Spirit what it yet understands. And so you're not going to be able to hear what's going on right now just in this one moment. You don't have the capacity, you humanoids don't have the capacity to grasp all that the Holy Spirit is pouring out in these services. So you know, it's up to you to facilitate other times of growth and yeah. because because the the seed is hungry for a place to plant. So I just wanted to give you that encouragement because of this dream that I had that that um, that the seed is in its infancy. And so the place in which God plants it has to be protected now. You may not practically know how to do that, and so you may. I'm telling you enough information that if you don't know, that you'll have to ask. Part of the part of the cultivation of the seed is in your desire to ask. So if you have your ask meter off, then you need to turn that little light switch back on because you're going to miss out. And so I'm telling you. I'm telling, I'm telling you, okay, so if your ask meter's off by whatever reason, then you need to rework that. You know, remember what I say that Bill says, I just say that Bill says it so that you can blame him, but 
is that if it's not working for you, you have to adjust. And see, the weird part about when we're not fully yielded, we don't even really know it's not working for us. You know, one of the things that the Holy Spirit has really been speaking to me about is that that he's wanting real-time adjustment. So what Bill says is that if it's not working for you, you adjust. And so part of the maturity, which we learned last week, maturity meant power, power, power yes. Yeah, it's not, not you're stupid. It's a whole different meaning. Did you all remember that from last week? And so then your engagement with the processes that God sets up to instruct us are different if you know that the goal is to receive more power and authority versus just to get in trouble or something. Surely by now we're not two anymore and we aren't just afraid we're going to get in trouble because someone corrects us, but it's actually the sign that they're paying attention and that they love us. And when we check out of that process, then we check out of maturity. And that's just the reality of it because this is the way God made humanoids, okay? He made, he, he, he wasn't a mean God, but he sent you to the planet knowing nothing. Have you thought about that? So everything you're doing right now, you learned it. And if it's not bearing spiritual fruit, it is obsolete at best. Probably some trap of the enemy, truthfully. And so if you're not bearing fruit, and if you don't know if you're bearing fruit, come ask me. I would be happy to tell you, because fruit is easy to see, because fruit's for me to pick. Now, I'm not going to be picking any of your fruit, but I'm just saying when you go out into the world, they're wanting to pick some fruit. So if all you have fear is and anxiety and, and anger and doubt and confusion, then they're, they're going to, that's not fruit. They don't want that. Right? And so God, so our, so that was all free. Yes. So today, is a good day. I'm. I was. Um, I've had a message on my heart for probably over a year, and so today's the day. Yeah. And um, I feel like that. I wanted to kind of lead into it with this a little bit of a, a journey with us. Um, let's turn to John 18. So yesterday morning. Um, Normally, Chrissy tells me or writes her dreams down, and so I don't even know how we got here, but she she told me about the scripture in John 18, and she's going to come up here and share with you a little bit about what God told her about it. But on my way to read what she was told me to read in John 18, which is down a little lower, I stumbled on a really cool thing and it went along with this word that I've kind of held for a while. So... I, w- I really wasn't reading anything. I, w- I didn't have Easter on my mind, really. I'm not trying to tell us an Easter story. So this is not the Easter story. So buckle up because it's another thing, okay? Even though it's in the Easter story chapter, I found a nugget. And I'm sure that y'all will enjoy. So it starts out, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. I think that's how you say it. After Jesus finished this prayer, remember he had prayed. I don't have time to read that, so you'll have to go to John 17 because it's just one little click over. 
And you can read that, okay? When Jesus finished this prayer, he left with his disciples and he went across the Kidron Valley. Now, I love the Passion guy because he puts so many things in context for us, doesn't he? So let's read that little footnote there. It says, the Kidron Ravine is the path David to. Do we remember David? When he was forced to flee Jerusalem because of the betrayal of his son, Absalom. You ever had any? Well, anyway. I was thinking in service that a lot of us are praying for our children, but it's funny because some people are probably praying for you today. Some people think y'all are deceived. Just, I'm just saying, it's the truth. Isn't that a weird feeling, though? When, I mean, because you kind of know that you know whether you know or not. Like, like the confirmation of the light of His glory is either on you or not, right? And then you got people praying for you to receive the backward portion they have. It's like you'd have to let go of so much revelation to get get back there where anybody know what i'm talking about at all that's an interesting thought for you isn't it somebody's praying for you today (laughs) beautiful isn't it isn't that a beautiful thing i'll be i'll be praying y'all get out of deception isn't it cool how sorry isn't it cool how god loves to give us something you know i sent shooty a text yesterday and i said what's the enemy of unity now, you know, bro asks me this all the time, you know, how do you hear that stuff? I said, I just, it just plops into my head and I just say it out loud. Because, see, it has to get out there yes. to do its mighty work. What does truth do? Truth is sharper, yeah. right? It's, yeah. it's going in to what? To do its work. So if you're tied up, it'll untie you. Yeah. If, you're, if you're all fattened up, yeah. it'll trim you. Yeah. That's what truth does. See, that's why, you know, if you want to be a king, you can go search out what is the enemy of unity. But we're not talking about that right now today, but she actually had a huge revelation about it. Okay, back to the Passion Version commentary of chapter 18 in John, verse 1. He said, David went up the Mount of Olives weeping. And Jesus went up also in sorrow, but David went up to save himself, but Jesus went up to save the people of the world. (laughs) Boom, right? So let's keep going. There's just a little, that's where he's going, to a place where there was a garden. Now we have to stop here as well, because he has another commentary, okay? Are you with me? This is the Garden of Gethsemane, which means olive press. Couple characters in the Bible. Got some people looking around right now. I guess they like olives and pressing. But here is what's going on, is that that Jesus is in a press. But listen to this. Jesus not only went to the garden to pray, but to be captured. He knew full well the Father's plan. Just as Adam fell in the garden of paradise, Jesus stood faithful in a garden of betrayal. When I read that, I heard the Holy Spirit say that Jesus, I wrote it down, Jesus was a defender of his own personal suffering to do the will of the Father. Because, you know, in other places where, where, you know, Peter, you know, he's trying to 
Why did he call Peter Satan? You know, the Chosen is coming out with their new season two. Oh, easy. My chocolate mom over there is getting excited. <laughs> Thought we were going to have a Holy Ghost moment. I was just making sure. Season two tonight at seven o'clock. We're going to be watching it. So, but you know, I love the characterizations they have in there. You know, I feel like it was a pretty. It's a pretty good characterization of Peter. You know, he's he he's it's it's a good one. So think about that little guy in the passion that we're talking about. Peter, he goes up to Jesus and he's trying to tell him not to do stuff. <laughs> but would you be strong enough when someone tells you, hey, because you're suffering, you must be doing something wrong. So change the assignment so you can be relieved of pain. See, Jesus was a defender of the suffering. I know y'all are scared to death of suffering, but, but this is why. Let's jump over to, I think I have this pulled up. Lord knows if I have so many scriptures. Anyway, uh, if it comes back to me, we'll be good. Okay, so I'm still on verse 1. So we went to the garden, right? Yes. It says, Judas the traitor knew where his place was, for Jesus had gone there often with his disciples, and the Pharisees and the leading priests had given Judas a large detachment of Roman soldiers and a temple police to seize Jesus. I mean, they, they say that they think it's hundreds, like five to six hundred. It says, Judas guided them to the garden, all of them carrying torches and lanterns armed with swords and spears. Jesus knew full well what was about to happen, because what is he doing? He's defending why he's on the planet. If you can grasp today this concept that that Jesus, oh, I know what it was. It was the joy set before him. That we look away from the natural realm, this is Hebrews 12, and we focus on our attention, our attention and expectations onto Jesus who birthed faith within us. So I, I propose to you the faith that he's trying to birth in you is that you would do what God put you here to do without counting the cost of who believes you, who goes with you, whether it causes pain. Because, and this is why. He said, because he leads us toward faith's perfection. See, faith's perfection, wait, faith's perfection is when I do what faith says to do. So he said, because his heart was focused on the joy of knowing that you would be his, he endured the agony of the cross and conquered its humiliation and now sits exalted at the right hand of the throne of God. So here's what I'm proposing is that Jesus was demonstrating that he knew there was something about what awaited whatever it was that he was led through. It's exactly the the word that Tessa, the reason why I let her get up here and, and say that word is because that's what he's saying today, that it is about the pass-through. Yes. And see, what happens is some of us stop at the doorway of the pass-through and we never experience the joy. Yes. Because we look at the pass-through and think that's too hard or that's too painful, or it shouldn't feel this way, or look this way, or they shouldn't have left, or they shouldn't have been here, or I shouldn't, they shouldn't have fired me, or they should have hired me. Whatever the shoulds are, we didn't go through the pass-through. 
Can you hear me today? And so Jesus is trying to demonstrate that, see, he knew and you can know today because he lives in you. So he's trying, he's in you trying to say, hey, there is something that awaits us on the other side of the pass through. You're never going to experience it staying on this side. But to go through the pass through, you think of it like this. Think of it that you have on too many clothes, like you have on 400 jackets. And you don't, you just need, you don't even need a jacket. And so to get through the pass through, all of that has to be removed. Maybe it's a jacket of fear or a jacket. I'm not going to be enough. That's the number one on all the world. The enemy lied to us, said, you're not enough. You're just not enough. Everything about you, your body shape, your size, your hair color, your family, your, your geographical location, everything is not enough. And the truth is, on the other side of the pass-through is actually the destiny. And so you're going to have to defend who wants you to be small on this side of the pass-through. And see, those words of smallness look different for everybody. Some people, it's you're deceived. Some people, well, why aren't you doing more for your family? Some of it is, well, that's not the right place. Well, that's not the right job. That's not the right car. That's not the right house. That's not the right city. It's always some, there's some voice, and they may not even exist in your life anymore, but they exist right here. And so something is causing me to stay on this side of the pass-through because we look at the pass-through with the eyes of here instead of the eyes of the joy. See, the eyes of the joy are something different. Now, see, this happens practically all the time. I mean, I just told you about a whole month of misery. Well, there was a joy, baby, waiting on the other side. It's joy for me to see someone who I know used to live on dollar pizzas, y'all. Experience the joy of the kingdom. I don't know if y'all have gotten there yet, but that is, that's what my life is about. And see, it wouldn't be as much joy to me if we weren't friends. See, if we had, if I had gotten her out of a hole and set her on a king's highway and then she went on and went someplace else, it's not the same joy. The joy is because we're in covenant and the covenant is can't be broken. And so the joy, so then I want to experience when I pass through the holy pass-through. I went through a holy pass-through to the more. But the pain was there was a fear in me. So God had to expose the fear at the, and that's a good thing about him, is he exposes it at the doorway. Do you want to go through? You want to go through? And I have to choose right then. Do I want to live with this fear and smallness? Or do I want to go through? Because it's going to be hard taking off that smallness. It's so much easier living on this side. It's so much easier not going to the garden. But listen to this. Let's go back to John. I'm so glad I found that scripture, aren't you? I don't know why I didn't think I had it, because I just didn't. Okay, where am I at? Where am I at? Okay, here we go. Here we go. Okay, Jesus, knowing full well what was about to happen, he went out to the garden entrance to meet them. 
He went out to the entrance. Did you? He went out to the entrance. I'm pretty sure the garden wasn't this big. He went out to the entrance where 500 men are. But listen to this. Who are you looking for? Don't you love when Jesus asks a question he already knows the answer to? Did you come for Peter? <laughs> right? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. I have to read the commentary. He said, Jesus the Nazarene. This is the Aramaic word, something, which means victorious one. I wish we'd write a song about vict Oh, wait, we did. Victorious one or heir of a powerful family. You don't know this, but I'm setting you up to talk about your new inheritance coming soon in the next few weeks. So see, this is the heir of a powerful family, the victorious one who lives in you. Man, I'm hungry. And the Hebrew word for Nazareth comes from the root word, which means branch. It says, and they replied, and in, in John, Emperor Judas, the traitor, was among them. He just wanted to let us know <laughs> how they got there with the traitor. Dun, dun, dun. And Jesus said, I am he. In the moment Jesus spoke the words, I am, the mob fell backward onto the ground. I love this. Another little commentary. This was a stunning event as the great I am spoke his name before those who sought to seize him. What's your name? When you step out to the mob, what's your name? What's your name? See, it wasn't that he said some Aramaic words. It's that he knew who he was. What's your name? See, do you know who you are? Because, see, the enemy is just hoodwinking you about who you are. And you've believed him a long time. You put words to it, actions to it. In fact, you try to convince me of who you are. And that thing that I keep poking, it's not who you are. It's on this side. The great I am spoke his name before those who sought to seize him. It's obvious in the text that they did not trip over each other in surprise for every one of them were a strong man. Sorry, for every one of these strong men fell backward to the ground by the power of God, first slain in the spirit. Jesus was in charge that night as the captain of the hosts of the Lord. They could not seize him unless he permitted them to do so. What a wonderful Savior who willingly submitted to the hands of cruel men to bring us the gift of salvation. Isn't that powerful? So when I was reading this, and keep in mind, I only read it because Mendel was going to share with something about something being cold, but um, <laughs> might be a little more than that. But 
in that moment I read that, I read that little commentary and it said to look over at Isaiah 11. And so let's turn there. This is this message I've been wanting to preach for a while. And I, I feel like that it goes so along with where we are right now, just even as a tribe. You know, the, the Holy Spirit um, in the Hebrew um, there in Isaiah 11, it, it says it's, listen to this, it says it's the Spirit of God. It's the third person of the triune God, the Holy Spirit, the co-equal, the co-eternal with the Father and the Son. It says... It's an inspiring, ecstatic state of prophecy. Let's just make that a rule. All prophecy should be inspiring, ecstatic. What does ecstatic mean? Not static. It's a little more than excited. Or it would have said excited. (laughs) Clearly, right? It's a little more, right? Right? Have you have you ever been a little more? I mean, Lynn, I saw her ecstatic the other day. It's a little more than excited. Imparting warlike energy. Yes. Both executive and administrative power. This is just this is just the word spirit in the Hebrew that we're about to read about. Endowing men and women with various gifts, the energy of life, the manifestation of the Shekinah glory. Maybe these are too big a words for us. And it's never referred to as a dispersonalized force. That means it's personal. Right? So Isaiah 11 the title of this, if I had to title my message today, is probably be called The Branch. You know, I just read about The Branch. Did you hear it over in Mark, uh, John 18? Yeah. So it says, The cutoff stump of Jesse. Jesse was, as you know, in the royal family line of David, right? Will sprout. I love that. Don't you love that? Sprouting, what does that mean? Remember that little sample that... Christy showed the other day of that huge tree. I told her we should have shown the before tree. I mean, it was a massive tree. And, you know, over the winter in October when we had the ice storm, that massive tree, the entire, all the branches of the tree were laying on her on her backyard, and it's not even in her yard. And so little by little, they begin to raise up. And guess what? A bunch of them got broke off. But the cool thing about the analogy that God's trying to show is that even on that tree, even on the part that we would just call the trunk, you know, just the branches off the trunk, on that branch, it just kept sprouting. Just in the middle of the branch, it didn't even look like there's not any place that it should, that that shows you that the trunk holds the whole thing, but the branches are what's producing the growth. And see, I remember I told you last week what we were. He's the vine and we're the... But see, he's the original branch. So if you can get this, what I'm trying to share today, that Jesus learned to be connected to the Father as a human being on earth. See, we've got to get out of our minds that that 
that he had more capability as a human than we do. That'll mess you up. And that's been taught a lot. Have anyone ever thought that, right? So then what did that make you feel like? It made you feel like you couldn't do it. Whatever it is, Jesus could do it, right? And so my only hope is to come to him in this poorly sinner state and hope he would have mercy on me, right? And what? Save me. But see, what's after that? Everything I feel like my life is about is about after that. Do I discount or anything? No, it's, it is all a miracle. It's a miracle that I know him. It's a miracle that my family knew him. It's a miracle that I know my purpose. It's, a, it's all a miracle, but I've got to do something with my salvation that makes sense. Otherwise, we just get saved every week, and then we go out. Have you noticed that if your expectation is that Jesus it was, was more than what you could be, then your expect, expectation of what you will do with your life is less than what the Creator planned. I don't know if I said that good. But the point of it is, is that we're the same. But He left the Holy Spirit. Who's the parakeet? He's everything. He is, he, I just read all the, let me read them again clearly. He's the energy of life. He's the manifest Shekinah glory. He's imparting warlike energy and executive and administrative power. He's the inspiring ecstatic state of prophecy. This is the spirit that lives in you. I didn't even read them all. That's who's living in you. And so listen, I, I, I read in Ephesians a few weeks ago, I believe it was, or wherever it's located, about the different gifts of the Spirit, right? Yeah. Well, this is, I believe what God was showing me is that these attributes are what He placed in Jesus. So it makes sense to me if Jesus is in me and I'm in Him. Can you make the connection real quick? Then you now possess them as well. Now, see, if I possess a whole lot of things supernaturally and I'm not seeing the fruit and I'm not seeing the kingdom executed, manifested means appearing, means that it's actually going on in my world, then I need to adjust something in here. I need to adjust what I believe. I need to adjust what I say. I need to adjust maybe my relationships. I need to, maybe you're that person that has that small little infant, you know, garden or gift or, or revelation and you haven't protected it. And every day you just have to relearn it. How many have had to relearn stuff in the supernatural over and over and over and over again? Well, why isn't just a one shot deal? Why didn't you just hear Revelation? Like today, I just told you something you hadn't heard before, right? Right? So how come you don't retain that? We don't retain it because the law of first mention was different, and we meditated on that a lot more than we meditate on what the new Revelation is. See, what makes Revelation actually become a force of action is that I meditate on it until I change my mind away from the law of first mention. The law of first mention has an action to it. 
I'm just telling you the truth, whether you can translate or not. And so it has an action. So you're doing something, you're making decisions, you're doing life based out of this law of first mention that basically was some injury for most of y'all that said you ain't nothing. Let me just use Mendel because she's such a good candidate and we already know her story. So the law of first mention was her was when the spirit moves upon you and you're six years old and you see this teacher and you say, I can't be around that spirit. Then the law of first mention was her for her was you're wrong in how that you feel what's going on with this teacher, right? And so you run away because that's all you know to do. You're wrong and you'll get punished. So she spent the next 35 years squelching, putting down, right, that that activation of the spirit until someone came along and said, wow, you, let's, can we, let's, let's reactivate that thing. That thing's been dormant, dormant. It didn't leave her. It just wasn't used. It wasn't matured. It wasn't powerful. Now she's got a lot of 35 years of law of first mentions now that none of them, do you understand me? None of those laws of first mention had to do with her purpose. No, I haven't found one yet. So that means all of those for 35 years has to get reworked. To what? To just do her purpose. Because the enemy targeted against her purpose. You know, Lynn was telling me that she gave a prophetic word to somebody the other day that there's a gift of faith in this person and so the enemy tries to get them to focus on the smallness of everything instead of this actually activating this gift of faith because the gift of faith means you see something that isn't, you have a gift of faith because the Holy Spirit says that should be yeah. or that ought to be. And you're like, yeah, I'll just call that thing right in. That's my gift of faith. Here it comes. Yeah. And you believe that just like Jesus believed who what his name was. Yeah. Back to Isaiah 11. It says the cut off stump of Jesse will sprout and a fruitful branch will grow from his roots. The reason why I'm telling you this word today is because this is what lives in you. If you haven't picked up on that yet. <clears throat> it says it first says. The spirit of Yahweh will rest upon him. And, and that I love it. Let's just go down the row for these little. Commentaries, the spirit of Yahweh is the spirit of prophecy. The manifest presence of God rested, resting upon Jesus. He says in the Hebrew culture to say the spirit of Yahweh rests upon someone, it means someone's meant that the spirit of prophecy was upon them. So that's the first thing that we get with Jesus. Now let's just don't say, well, cool. What are we going to do with this spirit of prophecy? What are you going to do? You have it. <laughs> you have it. See, you don't believe me. I can tell. All of y'all don't believe me. You need it to manifest in somehow. Well, the only reason why it manifests in some other people and it doesn't in you is because they worked on it. They believed it first and then they trained it. Yes. Have you ever talked to someone and they said, I just know when stuff happens. Right? Well, see, if I don't have any way to keep track of that, 
then I'm going to have to have some deja vu moment to be like, oh, I think I knew that was going to happen. But see, if I'm keeping track, you know, this week, um, Chrissy was listening to this guy, um, and this this prophet guy, and she realized that he had had prophesied something about the Suez Canal thing before it happened, and he prophesied about Biden tripping three times and said that God was going to you before he tripped. And I don't know how many times he's tripped now, but anyway, don't get me started. Um, but that God was going to use that to trip up the enemy's plans that are, I mean, it's crazy town, right, out there? I mean, I don't listen to much, but I hear it's crazy town out there. I don't know. Are y'all listening to it? But I don't listen to it. But anyway, and so then this Suez Canal thing, Chrissy actually, as soon as he said it, she had this dream about that container ship back in March or whenever, February, about the container ship, about the Suez Canal that got stuck. And the cool part about it was that in the dream, God was dividing the... What was on one side? Yeah, the division of countries, and one side was poverty, and the other side was being renovated. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's exactly the truth. You know, that that this is the moment. That Suez Canal thing just happened. She dreamed this in February. This is the moment. There's a division going on right now. Who's going to renovate? Who's going to get stuck in poverty? Whoever has a ear to hear. And so, you know, of course, then that makes me think, sorry, I don't have time for all this, I know, but let's just try to get in. In Isaiah, let's go over there to a different Isaiah place. Hold on. Isaiah, I really have a lot of scripture, y'all, so I apologize for the inconsistency. Isaiah 60, which Lynn just sent me Isaiah 60 while we were worshiping us. I'm preaching on this today. Um, It says, rise up in splendor and be radiant. Right? It's not, I don't really feel like he's saying, do you want to? Right? right? Yeah. Let me pull it up in another version. Hold on. Holy Spirit, you can't give me all these scriptures because I can't keep them all straight in my noggin. The, the title of it is The Glorious New Day. Have we heard anything about new recently? Yes. Do you like new? How many don't like new? Be honest. Okay, now you, nobody raise your hand. I don't know if you're just chicken. But if it's new, you've got to change. You know, I was just talking to some people the other day. I said the hardest thing in relationships is when someone is changing to adjust how you interact with them. Because they're new. They're different. You're used to the old way. You know, the same way like if someone is going backwards in their walk with God. Right? Then you're like noticing, oh, they're not, they're slipping there. Oh, they don't, they're, they're, what, what begins to happen? Their behavior begins to show they haven't been with Jesus. Right? Right? So he said, rise up in splendor and be radiant for your light has dawned. I love that he says that the light has broke forth into a new day. That's where we are. That's what that dream meant. It says, and Yahweh's glory now streams from you. That's so good. I thought y'all would be more excited about that. No? <laughs> he said that the next six chapters are about a new day, a new priesthood, a new wedding, a new mercy, a new prayer, a new heaven, 
a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. That's the next six chapters of Isaiah after chapter 60. And this chapter is talking about rise up in splendor and be radiant for your light has dawned and Yahweh's glory now streams from you. See, that's, that's what we have to realize is that there's, there is so much in us because of Jesus and the Holy Spirit living here that is trying to stream out. And when it streams out and looks weird or, or it looks offended or it looks like it's in poverty or it looks like whatever, then it doesn't look like God's Shekinah glory. The Holy Spirit's not going, woohoo. Right? He's saying, whoa, whoa. Isn't he? And guess what? I love it. See, I feel like we're unaccustomed to getting good shaping, good mentoring. Good, We are. Most people came in here and they've never had good mentors. And so all they're doing is trying to hide everything that they've predetermined isn't good to make sure no one sees it. But what's so crazy about that is that it it will just pop out in other ways because God wants to shape it. He didn't want to kill you. He wants it to come out. So I love it when people first begin to start sharing. I love that part because I'm like, oh, there's so much there for me to get. Now, do you think I get it all? Absolutely not. I get. Remember what I said a few weeks ago? God disciplines us in a way we can already handle it. See, and when we get triggered, we act like that's a bad thing. But what is the, what's the premise of a trigger? Is that there's literally something in me. Why would we want to keep that? That is the thing that baffles me beyond belief is why would anyone want to keep anything in them that is getting triggered? Right? Because it's just this side. We've got to go through the pastor and get all that stuff raked off of us. And that continues all the time. It says, um, look carefully, darkness blankets the earth and thick gloom covers the nations. Is that even going on right now? What was the first thing he said to do? Get up, shine. Wake up. Romans 8. The whole globe is waiting for you to wake up. Yeah. Right? I love this because this is what it says. Nations will be attracted to your radiant light. This is Isaiah 63. Not 63. 60.3. Nations will be attracted to your radiant light. And kings. What's a king on the earth? Someone in authority. And kings to your sunrise glory of your new day. That's what we're going for, right? Y'all be sure and go read that. I don't have time to read it all. Back to Isaiah 11. So it says, number one, we have this spirit of Yahweh, which we say was the spirit of prophecy, right? Number two is extraordinary wisdom. I love in the passion because he changes that word from wisdom to skillfulness. Have you ever heard Jack of, what is that, Jack of all trades? What is that? Master of none. Is that it? Jack of all trades, master of none. See, that's what we are in the religious community. We're masters at getting saved, but we are not good at wielding all these gifts. If it's God's gift and we're not our own, and we're now going to defend our purpose 
to get to the joy. Correct? Yes. Now, what would God do with this skillfulness? He would want to tweak it, wouldn't he? So he would want you to actually do something and you discover it's not good. That's how you, that's how you become more skillful. Not by only doing stuff that you're comfortable doing and doing all the stuff you're not comfortable doing in private where no one knows you messed up. You know, I love to cook something I've never cooked before. And I love to set it down and everybody go, and I go, how do you feel about it? Why? I don't care that it's a risk because what if it's great? It'll flop every now and then, right? But what if it's great? And the process of cooking taught me what I like in my mouth. Oh. Yeah, I didn't get that at all. The spirit of skillfulness. This gives equipping ability. This is just one thing. For music, art, business, writing, creativity, and wisdom for judicial decisions. This one thing. How does the enemy shut down this one thing in you? When we're hypercritical about our art, what make what does that make us do? Do more makes us stop. When we think that things are unjust, what does it make us do? It makes us look for something to save that's outside our realm. Of actual anointing. Yes. And we're just busy then. See, God, see, what you have to understand is that the equipment that you have is for a specific purpose that God created. He doesn't care where you work, He doesn't even care if you get married. But you better be doing all of these things. Your purpose is not contingent upon another human being. But you better be doing these things wherever you work and whoever you're married to, whoever you're in relationship with. These things can't stop or start because of those external choices you make. See, we all think that our, our calling is contingent upon how can that even be possible? What if, what if they died? What if they said no to God? No, you're just hanging out forever? Well, there went my purpose on down the road with Julie. <laughs> right? I'm just telling you the truth. So you need the question you need to ask there is, how does the enemy hoodwink you to act like you don't have this skill? See, the cool thing about God is he didn't. Let me say, see if I can say this tactfully. What he's asked you to do probably isn't going to be your very first choice if you're coming out of a bunch of uh, first laws, laws of first mention. Because you're just going to do enough to survive the yuckiness of the law of first mention. See, when you step into your actual purpose, just like Jesus, you just step into it. You're just like, here I am. This is my purpose. This is what I'm doing. Because he knew the greater light beyond it. And see, what well, I'm not explaining this good like I want to, but, the, but God's purpose comes along with all of these 
attributes that cause our purpose to be done easy. When I'm kicking again, sometimes, you know, Pam and I didn't wake up one day and say, we're going to own a business. Our goal is to own a business for 30 years. Our goal was to get into ministry. And he said, well, this is the way you're going to train people who are going to be in ministry with you. And we were like, really? We didn't. What? We saw that going a whole different way. And see, that happens a lot of times because we get that easy road, that easy button pushed. And we're like, hey, this is going to be God. I mean, like, this is God. I know it's God. And he's like, I wasn't really ever in that, though. The next one is spirit of perfect understanding. Passion guy says that's the spirit of intelligent insight. Perfect understanding, intelligent insight. That To me, that means I can see beyond what's going on just naturally. Like when you first start getting mentored, you're on this level of where everything just bothers you. Person at work bothers me. That's kindergarten level. This person I'm married to bothers me. My, my kid's not acting right. You know, they, they, I, I got in the long line at Walmart. You know, they didn't have my fry. I got my to-go order from Wendy's, and they didn't put my fries in there and got home. They didn't. That's kindergarten level of maturity. And so, I, you know, I, I got tired of being on that level. I don't know. Is anybody on that level? I mean, I was like, no, I'm not getting on that level. Of course, everybody at work bothers me. They're not Christians. I'm the light. I went to work today wanting them to congratulate me for getting here. See, what happens is, is that he's given us all of these amazing attributes and the spirit groans within us when we don't utilize them in a mature way. He's like, these are so powerful. These solve every problem. So he wants to set you up to where you have some problems to solve, like people. Like people. All you cholerics who don't get along with people, all you melons who want, you're all tasking. Like these people are in the way of getting the job done. Right? Right? Just see if you can be honest. And all you saying was, you're the one that's causing the problem. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. It's a little joke. I just had to throw that in there. Our personalities are not our spiritual gifts. Your personality is the flavor of your spiritual gift. He says, this spirit of intelligence, that's why it's called intelligence. Spirit, spiritual intelligence, not natural. It's not natural wisdom. It says, this imparts the ability to discern the truth, to know the meaning of riddles, and to decipher parables and allegories. This anointing was on the prophet Daniel. I believe everybody has this ability. Wouldn't it be mean of God to say, well, sorry, Trace, you just don't get that one. See, the... See, if I already have this spirit of stupid talking to me, yeah. if it's already telling me I'm stupid, I'll never, I'll never have this perfect understanding. Yeah. It's something he gave me. Yeah. Now I get to play with it and figure it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to force myself to learn something new because the spirit of stupid said I was stupid, not God. Right. It's a spirit too. Yes. 
Now we did. Oh, we're doing good. The next one is the spirit of wise strategy. I love this one. Now, see, one of the things you have to remember is that you're good at some of these because you practice them more and you didn't know it. Oh, some of y'all are looking at me like calf had a new gate. I'm saying, see, y'all have done this thing where you've discounted, you've done the discount program. Did you, I mean, what, did you just want one? Are you compared? Well, there, I can tell they're so much better. Well, get over there with them then. If they're so much better, get over there. Hug up against them. Say, I don't know, that thing you got, I want it. I want it. I'm going to be hanging out. I'm going to be calling you. I'm going to be texting you. I'm going to ask you, how did you get that? How do you make that better? You've got, see, these things have got to be developed. They're not like God just said, no, you don't get them. I believe that God orchestrates offices, which he talks about in Ephesians. But I believe this came with this with the spirit of the living God, the Holy Spirit, that if you are filled with the spirit and the evidence of that is you speak in tongues, then you have this. You maybe didn't know it and you maybe didn't try to use it. Or maybe you just had the spirit of stupid on you and you just the spirit of stupid said you're stupid all day. You're stupid. You're stupid. Does anybody have the spirit of stupid? Kick it out. Tell it to shut up and go to hell. Just get rid of it. I mean, why are you even entertaining it? Why are you even sitting down and having a conversation with it? The conversation goes like this. You can't do that. And you go, okay. That's the conversation. Well, you can't do it. Okay. That is the, it's a two line conversation. And your answer is okay. I tell it to shut up. I say, you don't know what you're talking about. Spirit of Jesus lives in me. The spirit of the Holy Spirit lives in me. I can do whatever. I do the impossible. It just depends on what you want to partner with. And guess what? There's a spirit of stupid against every one of these spirits. If you can find it, you can get free. You just thought you got left out of the line. The spirit of guidance. Guidance, 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 guidance. Who needs guidance? Cool, isn't it? The Holy Spirit gave you guidance. That means I know what to do. I'm going to know what to do. That's what that is, right? I can hear him and I can know what to do. The problem doesn't lie in whether you can hear him or if you know what to do. The problem is, do you want to do it? Right here at the gate. So see, when that spirit of the living God's living in me, and he's like, we want to. Come on, baby. We want to. We want to. We want to. You know, it's, it's like after you decide you don't want that COVID body anymore. You know that one? Does anybody know what I'm talking about? And you wake up and you're like, man, I'm, I'm done having this COVID body. Well, guess what? There's, you got to get up because COVID said lay down, right? It's the spirit of lay down. So then it is, it is. And everybody, everybody had permission. Don't go out. Death outside your door. Remember those days? So we got the COVID body, right? Cause we laid down. And so now he says, get up. So your COVID body spirit says, lay down. Right? Has anyone been hearing it? Come on, be honest. See, y'all didn't raise your hand. I know my two girls are with me over here. And so it's like, no, get up. Get up. It's time to get up. 
spirit of guidance. It says this is the word for counsel, advice, and purpose. What if today you decided, I'm only going to make decisions based on what my purpose is? Can I tell you, you'd have so much extra time? You're doing so many things. You're doing so many things that don't have to do with your purpose. And see, my what, what did Jesus say? There's a joy. You're really just looking for joy in, a, in peanut ice cream. I mean, it's just not there. You're looking for joy in the lay down. It's not there. The joy is in doing what he called you to do, your purpose. The spirit of guidance is in you. It's always going to be saying, oh, I really wish we would do that different. I love it. He says it's also used for the guiding of a ship. This anointing imparts the wisdom for uh, the wisdom for counsel needed to spiritually lead. Every leader needs this. And so God was so gracious to give it to everyone that uh, it's just right there. Do you believe me? Okay, I'm going to I'm going to finish the rest of it next week because Mendel has a really cool thing to say. So I want her to have time to come say it. And she's already nervous. It's really long. And so if I talk too much longer, then she won't say it. <laughs> That's funny. Wow. Oh, do you ever think some days that you're hearing all this and you're like, this is why they call it the good news. <laughs> it's like the understatement of the year, though, isn't it? This is the good news. That falls so short. Well, um, like Tisa said, I actually had um, a lot of the Holy Spirit was just showing me all this stuff in the book of John the other day. And I, I was reading in John from because of some other reasons for the last couple of weeks or so. And so I found myself in John again and I'd read something and I had one of those um, kind of burning bush moments where I heard something. And it said, um, I think it's in, in John 18, and it says, because it was cold, Peter, you know, the guards were around the fire in the courtyard when they had taken Jesus. And so Peter went and stood with them around the fire. And I just heard that because, because it was cold. And so I, I call it a burning bush moment because I had to turn aside to see, you know, what's, what's special about that. And of course, it wasn't really just like with Moses, it wasn't really the fact that the bush was burning. It was what God had to say to him in the middle of it. So I, I had been kind of pondering on that and I still wasn't really sure what, um, the significant was of that part of the story. But then I had a dream on, um, I guess Friday night. So I woke up Saturday morning with this dream, a couple of dreams. And I realized then the significance of that scripture in John 18. So first I'm, I wrote about these dreams and I wrote what I feel like the Holy Spirit was saying. So I'm going to read that to you and then point out a few things. So I wrote that in a dream, I was working in my old career field in a very busy and hectic environment. Some distant family members were coming by without an appointment and I was scurrying to find a way to get them what they needed, despite how busy I already was. 
I had to leave for an appointment, so I tried to call someone at my office to make arrangements for the family members coming by. I soon discovered that my phone had been switched with someone else's, so I couldn't make any phone calls or arrangements like I wanted to. I was irritated by this problem and how difficult it was making things for me. I needed to take care of these things, and now I couldn't text or call about them, and no one could text or call me. I was mulling over all the ways this would make matters worse, bewildered at how this could even have happened. When I woke up, I realized that I had seen in the dream whose phone I now had. It was James Gall's phone. When I realized this, I was immediately excited. I realized that the Holy Spirit had given me a dream showing me that I could make and receive calls the way James Gall does. So who calls James Gall? God does. And then James makes outgoing calls based on what God had told him. So I recently learned more about James Gall with the release of his new book called The Feeler, which is about one of the ways that we discern what God is saying, doing, etc. The connection for me on the meaning of having his phone right now is undeniable and very exciting. It occurred to me, however, that in the dream, I saw the phone switch as a nuisance, even an obstacle to my goals. But as soon as I was awake and realized whose phone I had, I was excited. I believe this is a picture of how we often initially respond when God brings us into a new way, a new level, etc. Tisa recently taught on the importance of true abandonment. This was last Wednesday's message on true abandonment. Our ability and willingness to abandon what was once new, but is no longer the new thing God is doing. Okay. You, does that make sense to everybody? Okay. If not, you can re-listen to that message. So the question is, then, will we respond to the new thing God is doing or asking of us by seeing what he's now placing in our hands as a nuisance or obstacle to what we've already decided is the goal? Or will we receive the new with excitement and gratitude? tying the passion of our hearts to the new thing that he's doing. So I had another dream the same night that followed the first, and I believe that is also a picture of where our response will lead us to if we fail to abandon the old thing. So remember, this is all, I mean, if you're, if you're tracking with the messages recently, we've talked about being pruned. We've talked about, um, Tisa read from, I think it was Isaiah 60, about the, it was the new this, the new that, the new, there's all of this newness. There's an emphasis on the changing of seasons, which I think was why he said, he drew my attention to that verse, said, because it was cold. Because in my mind, I think of Easter, which I associate with the cross and the resurrection was springtime. And so it jumped out at me that, well, because it was cold, I think that stood out to me because I would have thought it spring was a little warmer, you know, in my mind. So that is just pointing to a change in a season. There's a, there's a change there. Okay. So, um, in this other dream, I was making a small cubby hole for myself behind a wooden fence. It was only large enough for me to sit in with my legs crossed, but I was setting it up as if I could sleep there 
as if it'd be a resting place. I was showing someone some of the things I'd done to set it up, one of which was the small holes I'd dug to make a way for something the size of a mouse to be able to come through. I was making a way for them to check in with me as if I was considerate of their needs. As I was pointing out one of these little access points that I had, I had dug, I was shocked to realize that my foot had sunk into the hole all the way up to my knee. This was much deeper than I thought or intended. And I suddenly realized that the small access hole I'd made had tapped into a much larger snake tunnel. And now my foot was down there with the snake. I panicked and desperately tried to pull my foot out. And in the process, I knocked the fence down and my cubby was destroyed. So I believe this is a picture of what we do when we try to hang on to the old thing, when we insist on sticking with our predetermined goals and ways after God has brought us something new. We find ourselves living in a very small place, carving out a cubbyhole behind a fence, thinking it will actually be a place of rest. In our effort to hang on to the old, we will make concessions and allowances for things that God has already called small or insignificant to his plan or to his kingdom. Those concessions actually tap into a deeper network of lies the enemy would love for us to believe. Our foot or our walk so easily becomes trapped and we find ourselves not only ineffective in our goal, but without a place to rest. On this journey of apprehending destiny, our, co our cooperation and willingness to truly abandon what was once new, but is no longer the new thing, is of paramount importance. His word to us on last Wednesday that we shared on the true abandonment message showed how we have to allow him to tweak and refine our motives. Remember the word I read that he had given me? And he was pointing to some different things that we needed tweaked, um, motives, definitions, etc. So we have to allow him to tweak and refine our motives and definitions on this journey. We must allow him this right, or even our God-given desires and motives will not follow with him. We have to be willing to recognize his right and reason for changing and tweaking what we heard him say last time. Otherwise, his road will make a turn and we will miss it, finding ourselves trying once again to make our own way through a field he never called us to. So as I was um, putting this together, I was realizing that this story has been repeated throughout history that our merciful Father has been showing us this exact point over and over and over again, hoping that we would learn from it, learn from other people and other people's um, experiences and lean into being the flexible branches he designed us to be. So I was seeing this huge picture with, um, along with these dreams and all that I'd read in John 
and what was going on um, when Jesus was crucified and then resurrected. So I've, I saw all of these parallels. I, I told Tisa that the Holy Spirit was in a sanguine mood because he was talking just nonstop, nonstop, just had a whole lot of words to say. And so I love sanguines, so I could appreciate that, but I could hardly write it down fast enough. But I saw several parallels in the story of the Easter and in the Easter story specifically to what he was showing in this dream and what he's been talking about in the word that we shared last Wednesday. So one of those parallels, I just want to share a few of them with you. Barabbas. Barabbas was the one who, remember the criminal, that the Jewish people chose to be released instead of Jesus. They could have, they could have said yes, set Jesus free, but they said, no, we want Barabbas instead. Uh, he was known to be a violent criminal, but what I didn't realize is that he was actually um, one of the people who believed violence against the Romans was the path to freedom for the Jewish people. So he was known to be um, someone who was a rebel. He, he, he participated in revolting against the Roman government and the insurrection of the, of the government. And so I looked into it a little bit further, and it was really interesting because his first name was actually Jesus. His name was Jesus Barabbas. So you could say that the people had two Jesuses before them, and they, got, they chose a Jesus in that moment. His name is also thought to mean, um, it's Bar Abbas, so you know, Abba is father, and so his name is, is, um, means son of a father. We had, they had two sons of a father to choose from in that moment. One was the son of God, and one was the son of man, man's ways. So I want to propose to you that they chose to release the one who used his own human strength to fight their cause who more closely represented the military strategy to overtake the Romans the way they thought the Messiah would come. It, it just lines up. It lines up where they're. So they chose to preserve their old understanding of how freedom would come when God had just brought them the new way the, to real freedom according to his plan all along. So that, again, was another example of God right before them was the brand new way, the brand new way. This, this was the path that God had for, foreordained for all these years. This was the Messiah they'd been looking for, but they clung on, they clung to their old understanding of what it would even look like. And because of that, you know, the rest is history. So uh, I want to go on to another example um, that is another great example of this exact story happening where we cling to the old instead of embracing the new. Peter. Um, Tisa spoke about Peter today, and this is in, I think it is in John 18 still, that um, Peter, we know, denied Jesus three times, right? Now, I believe, when I think about the story, that Peter was just using his common sense when he did that. When we think about it, he was a stealthy and strategic fighter. 
we already know, like like Tisa shared on, that that he wanted to fight them in the garden. He wanted to tell Jesus, no, I'll fight for you. I'll defend you. And he, you know, he cut the guy's ear off and all of that. And Jesus had to stop him. So Jesus stopped him then. But later, while Peter was in the enemy's courtyard, I believe he was still operating with what he understood best. It, w- it would make sense, right? And it would be more helpful to any strategy he could think of for physically rescuing or defending Jesus if he laid low and wasn't recognized. I mean, wouldn't that happen in every spy movie you ever watched? <laughs> it would just, it would make sense. I'm going to lay low. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that I'm not with this guy. And then when I have my chance, I'm going to, I'm going to take action. So I I believe that is what he was operating in when he denied knowing Jesus three times. So again, here, Jesus was literally doing a new thing. But Peter's passion for what he thought God would want blinded him from seeing it. Instead, his denial of Jesus three times brought on a profound sense of failure and self-condemnation. He realized he had done exactly what he had sworn never to do. His allowance or concession of the old way in that moment, a little hole, dug a little hole in the ground, tapped into a, a, a snake track, right? It gave entrance to what was probably his greatest days of torment. You know, Peter had to wait a while before Jesus could, before he could ever speak to Jesus again. I mean, can you imagine his devastation and all the condemnation and everything that came on him, knowing he had failed to do even what he and his heart thought he should have done? But he had to wait not only for Jesus to be resurrected before he could see him again, but eventually Jesus does bring him some inner healing, but he had to wait a little while for that. And so I propose that his clinging to the old way, his old understanding, actually tripped him up and brought him into his greatest days of torment while he was waiting for that to be reconciled. So the really cool thing is Jesus later in John 21 asked Peter three times if he loved him. And so we know that after his resurrection, Jesus led Peter through this inner healing process and a tweaking of his motives. When he gave Peter three chances to proclaim his love for Jesus again, he, in that moment, he was redirecting, he was just shifting Peter's focus to this is your motive. Do you love me? Well, then feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes, I love you. Well, then feed my lambs. Do you love me? You know, he kept asking him and redirecting him. He was redirecting. He was reworking the motives that had led him to be tripped up three times. Mm -hmm. But the the other thing is that his proclamation of love for Jesus was enough to remove the sting of his perceived failure and condemnation. His proclamation of love for Jesus, his connection, that connecting point was love. His personal experience with the power of this love was also his introduction to what would now, he would now keep in front of him as his motive in all things, everything that Jesus had called him to do. And so this is again, does that not sound like the word that he gave us that we shared last Wednesday? He tweaked the motive of why do I want, why do we want him displayed? 
He tweaked the motive there and he said, look at love. Look at this definition of love. What does it really mean? Do you really understand what love is? Because that's your motive that he said that was the original motivator of all time. And so that, again, is just another connection for us on this uh, story in the Bible and these dreams and what God has been speaking to us lately. Another um, aspect of this story that I'm not even fully around, but I wanted to go ahead and share it is that, um, you know, patterns are really important in the Bible and they can really tell us a lot. And so it was interesting because remember it was cold outside in John 18. And so Peter went to warm himself over the fire. Well, in John 21, when Jesus was restoring him and asking him those questions, they were also by a fire that Jesus had built. So there was a fire and a fire. And I don't know if you remember someone here mentioned in a prophetic word that love is an ember, an ember. And I looked up interestingly in both of those scriptures that specifically uses the word charcoal fire, not just fire. And I looked up charcoal. I looked up that word in the original language and it says a live coal. And so I'm not full of, fully around all of that yet, but love is an ember. We heard earlier today, love is a fire, is what I was just hearing the other day. There's a fire uh, and a, a, a um, power in the fire of love that is actually this, this renewing thing where it removes the sting of where we've been off and it purifies and, and re restores our motives to be in alignment with his. And there's probably more to that. Too. But here's the last thing I wanted to mention is that this thing about patterns, Peter, I didn't even, I don't even know if I realized this until recently that Jesus did a miracle with the, with fish, fishing twice. I think I used to think it was just one time, but the very first time that Peter met Jesus was in Luke five. And he, that's when they had you know, been fishing all night and they caught nothing. And then Jesus appears and he doesn't know who he is yet. And he says, you know, throw your net over again. And he catches this miraculous number of fish. And then uh, Peter believes. So Peter had a personal experience. Not only was he a fisherman, but he had a personal experience of his first encounter with Jesus. His, he'd seen Jesus move in a certain way. Now, right before in John 21, right before um, Jesus asks him, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Was the second miracle of the fish. And so Peter has been fishing again. And some of the disciples were out there. They'd been fishing again and hadn't caught anything. And he said, not, he, he didn't just say, cast your net again. He said, throw your net starboard. Switch sides. Switch to the right side. So his instruction was getting more and more detailed. First, it was just cast your net again. And now I'm telling you more specifically, throw your net to the right on the starboard side. And so in that moment, there's just this synchrony that happens when the Holy Spirit or Jesus speaks to us through our experiences that resonate with us. And so this was something, again, that, that Peter was probably considered an expert in. He was a fisherman. That was his trade. But he listened in that moment and that was a foretelling almost of I'm giving you a new way so cash throw your net over onto the right side and then hey here's love love is your new motive 
So there's this, this getting rid of the old thing and the new thing. So there's just this theme here. There's a theme in this entire story about the old and the new, the new, new, and our opportunity to really, really grasp this. One other thing that stood out to me is that if you recall in the story that Jesus's tunic had no seams in it and the guards were, were separating, dividing his clothes up between the four of them, but they saw that there was no seam in his garment. It was one complete piece of fabric, the tunic. And the Passion Translation says that it symbolized his perfect holiness and righteousness. They said that the words, the verbiage there could even be translated that it ha- it was sewn from above. And you remember they they didn't want to tear it, so they chose to gamble for it instead. And I just want to propose to you that even the guards then knew, I don't want to destroy righteousness. I just want to get righteousness my own way. Wow. And so I'll gamble for it instead. I don't really want to tear righteousness up and everything that Jesus represented. They didn't know what they were doing, of course, but I'll gamble for it because I really want that. I really want righteousness. But Jesus did all of this for us so that we could have his righteousness and we don't have to gamble. It's, it's not a gamble anymore for us. And it's not a gamble because all the spirits the spirit of guidance, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of excellence, all those that Tisa shared with us today are available. They're active and living in us. And so it's our ability to abandon what we thought we knew, to lean into what the, the guidance is telling us to, we don't have, that makes it not a gamble. It's, it's not a risk. I know a lot of times it feels like a risk to let go of your old way to try something new. But if you realize the one who's speaking to you and the one who's leading you, it's not a gamble at all. He, he ensured the way. I mean, this is the most, you know, backed up plan of all time. So I really hope that we can start looking, just keep our eyes open even for the things that we are maybe even experts in, or we've always, it's the tried and true method like Peter with fishing and listen for him to say, hey, cast your net on the other side. Let's switch it up right here in this place. I'm doing a new thing and I've got a new way for you to do it. So let's just make our hearts uh, permeable to his impressions in those ways. And so, Holy Spirit, I just say that you go through, ask right now that you would go through the room and even for anybody watching or hearing this message in the future at any point in time, that you would perm, that you would permeate their hearts, that you would make their heart permeable to your words, to your leading, to this adjustment, to these tweaks and, re- and new definitions that you're giving us. I just say, just like Tisa um, prophesied earlier and, and talked on earlier, you, I just declare that you have already removed the stony heart from us and you've given us a heart of flesh, one that you can speak to, one that you can mold and you can plant seeds of truth in. And so we thank you for your truth. We thank you that we aren't like the Romans back in the Easter story who said, what is truth? Pilate said, what is truth? We are not condemned to a life of not knowing what truth is. We have the spirit of the living God in us, and we are fully capable of knowing truth and being guided by it. So we say, thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you did. Thank you for for opening the door to us. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're the comforter and the encourager to give us the strength to walk through that door, no matter what it looks like. 
And we thank you, Father God. We thank you, Father God, that we are now getting to live in the mystery of all the love that you impart to us on new levels constantly. And so we'll embrace the new, we'll look for the new, we'll gladly and excitedly embrace what you're doing. And we say yes to you now in our faith. We say yes to you in advance. You have our yes in advance right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from One Life OK. For more information, please visit us at onelifeok.com.